healing is knowing where your triggers come from and responding to those triggers as opposed to reacting to those triggers. And I've witnessed things through my entire life from a child's point of view, and that has always left me triggered down the line. Hello everybody, welcome to Switch On with myself, Kyle Clark. A show curated to be the most beautiful love letter to our generation. It's the guidance you never knew you needed from the people you wanted to hear it from the most. I am so grateful to bring you guys on this journey because for me, this is a love letter to you. And I really hope that you guys leave a review, share the moments that inspire you and share this with people that you think might need the help. Today, we sit down with media personality, breathwork practitioner, functional medicine health coach Zareda Jardine and she unpacks for us how her life's work has led her to this moment. Uh, she also covers some techniques of how anxiety and burnout play hand in hand with each other um, and it's an absolute privilege to have her. I know my family is fangirling watching the show at the moment. <laughs> uh, they are fangirling. Zareda's always been a huge fan, a, a huge favorite for us in the media industry from the beginning. So I'm so excited to have her here. It's time to switch on. Sereda, welcome to the show. That was such a beautiful intro. Thank you. And as, as, as a child that was born in the 70s and I'm all about mixtapes and love letters, the fact that you using the word love letter just conjures up so many memories of what a love letter means. That's so beautiful. I'm so glad. Letter. I'm so glad you like it. I really, I've always wanted, you know, I always thought to myself how I wanted to carry myself. And I've worked in entertainment and media for a very long time to know that you can be influent you can be an influencer or you can be influential you know mm. i'd rather work in entertainment in a later stage to be more influential to people and see I how that. i can help people so this is what this show is all about i love that i'm so happy to have you purpose <laughs> purpose of a lot of purpose beautiful. i love that a lot of purpose thank you so much for being here thank how have you, you been me. i've been i've been let's be honest uh yeah the, give us the yeah, tea. No, the last 18 months have been the most challenging i would say of my life. I mean, okay. I've definitely gone through challenging periods, but it's really, really been challenging. I mean, I, first of all, I've lost 10, close 10 family members to COVID. So, so I'm that's so been to hard that. to navigate. Um, and then also just this not knowing of where we're going and the world just feeling a little, or maybe a lot disruptive and not knowing where that light is going to start emerging has been quite disconcerting for me and as an empath i've definitely taken on the global energy of what all of this feels like yeah um it's been hard for me to separate even though i professionally i have to separate it with my clients because you don't I, have a choice yeah. a lot of my clients are suffering from depression and anxiety so one thing i will say is that something incredible i felt i felt something incredible happen the beginning of september and it was just amazing how the ushering in of spring mm. has made me feel different. Like I suddenly um, started dressing and putting on more color, um, getting rid of my track suits that I've been wearing for the last 18 months. Your loungewear. <laughs> my loungewear, luxe loungewear. Um, started noticing the birds in my garden. My garden sounds like an aviary. Started noticing the different blooms that are coming. And that has definitely made me feel better. And I've, I've started saying yes to seeing people. 
um, because I've not really gone out in the last 18 mm. months. I've been I've been very much a hermit, and and because because of the impact of of you know the amount of deaths that we've gone through, I just haven't wanted to go out. I've wanted to be, you know, at home. I can imagine. I want to go back to what you said earlier. Um, you know, you yourself as an empath has had to go through all of these challenges consistently. I always believe that being a wounded healer, mm -hmm. and that's when I look at you, that's what I think you are. You're a wounded healer, someone that has been through all of it and is now able to use her own story to either evoke change or help people go through their own troubles. Yeah. You know, tell me a little bit about when you realized for the first time that okay you now need to excuse the pun but get your shit together yeah. because it was just going on a downward spiral for you yeah so it's interesting you know they always refer to psychologists or healers as wounded healers yes. and, and um yeah that's interesting i guess i can't speak for everyone i can definitely say that I, there's never been a moment where I felt like I needed to get my shit together. I feel okay. like it's a moment that's constantly happening all the time mm -hmm. because you're going through different periods of your life and that becomes highlighted for you, whether you are in a, I don't know, dysfunctional relationship or um, navigating some childhood traumas or becoming a parent and, and, and. So I think at many points in one's life, one is navigating, I need to get my shit together. Um, my dad died in front of me of a heart attack when I was 13 years old. I had just turned 13 and I was the only one with him. And that was definitely uh, a traumatic period of my life, without a doubt. And, and because I come from a family that didn't communicate well, um, you know, like today something happens, you're like, oh my gosh, we've got to get a psychologist, you need yeah. to talk to someone. I don't come from that. Yeah. And so, you know, my dad was Muslim. He he died on a Tuesday. He was buried on that day and I went to school the next day. Wow. You know, no one said Zureda, how are you feeling? Mm. You know one no one spoke no one to asked. me about the fact that he had his last breath in front of me, you know? So obviously, and then, then, and then that coupled with the fact that my sister and I are 12 years apart. Yeah. I was pretty much an only child growing up. I'm, I was the younger one. And so I had a lot of time as a child to process and to think. And, and I'm Pisces, I, I dream, and mm. I'm an empath. So I'm sitting my feelings as well. So I had many years of doing that, of getting my shit together, so to speak. Yeah. One of the things that, I think my dad's passing, as much as it was a low light, illuminated for me, was number one, I wanted to be independent. Yes. At that time, clearly there was a huge abandonment trigger that I was going through, which I didn't couldn't name at the time as abandonment. Mm -hmm. I can only I can only do that now in retrospect. You were also bottling up a lot because no one asked how you no, were feeling from exactly, the age of thirteen. I wasn't to talk, yeah. you know. Um, we come from communities that don't talk, yeah. and so and so. I mean, I mean, I'm not surprised that I went into broadcasting yeah. and communication like, so that I, I could need talk to speak to, to somebody, people, <laughs> you know. And so, so that transition that you speak of, it it's almost. I don't feel like I've really changed careers, so to speak. I feel like I'm still communicating with people. It's just that now, at this point in my life, and I believe that we have. Um, we have many awakenings in our life. And, and when I went, was in broadcasting and media, that's where I was meant to be. One doesn't have to do the same thing for the rest of one's life. You Correct. can decide to be many things in your lifetime. Correct. You know, do you. And so I guess what happened for me is after I had my kids and I no longer, I, w I was definitely burnt out. Mm. Um, 
from having been in the media industry. I hadn't stopped working. I loved working. Public holidays didn't mean anything to me. I, I definitely, you know, Albert Einstein has got this this quote that goes, do something you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Yeah. Broad, I love broadcasting. And so I just continued working. And then when I had my kids and, 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 and mostly when my mom passed away, my mom passed away um, when I was three months pregnant. And, and that also once again illuminated, okay, what's purpose here? Yeah. What, what's the kind of parent I want to be? And slowly but surely, subconsciously, unconsciously, these things started coming into my life. I've always been someone that people came to and spoke to. I've always been the friend that, you know, people came to speak to about their problems and no one would ever ask me, and how are you doing, Zoraida? Yeah. Because they perceive you to be someone that's always got your shit together, so they don't have to ask you how you are. And and I guess at some point I I realized I wanted to study. I, I came from a family that had no money, so studying after school was not an option. I come from a family that was just trying to make ends meet. Both my parents were not Same. educated, um, didn't even finish school. Mm. And so I realized that I want a degree. And, and I'm the first person in my family to get a degree. Congratulations. At the age of 40. So I went to university at the age of 40 and, and decided to study psychology. And I've, it's been seven years now. I've been a full-time student for seven years. I'm currently doing my master's. And um, along the way, I've had many transitions that have taken me. Psychology has taken me to functional medicine. And functional medicine has taken me to breath work. And breath work has taken me to critical diversity studies and understanding the power of what makes us different. Wow. Um, and that's where I am currently. I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of wrapping up my master's. And hopefully next year, I'm going to do my PhD. I'm so proud of you. It's so incredible to hear how your life has changed. I, you know, I've done a lot of research and I've been watching I've been watching you for years, actually. Um, and I didn't know that you were going through all of these things. Like losing your parents is heartbreaking. Yeah. It's and it's indescribable. It's a feeling that no one would ever be able to know. Yeah. You know, and especially coming from a family and a community where communication is actually not that open. Yeah. It's difficult to to bear that. So it must have taken you a very long time to heal. What is your Oh, I think I'm still healing. You think I, you're still healing? Oh, for sure. And what is your definition of healing? For you? That's such a profound question. What's my definition of healing? You know, I think that for the rest of our lives, let me talk about myself personally, I think for the rest of my life, I'm going to be triggered. Yep. I'm going to be triggered with abandonment challenges. I'm going to be triggered by communication challenges. I'm going to be triggered by money challenges. All of these things that I grew up with that was never, ever fully communicated. Um, and so healing is knowing where your triggers come from and breathing and feeling into that and and responding to those triggers as opposed to reacting to those triggers yeah. because the triggers are always going to be there they don't ever go away you don't ever fully heal you are always in a process of healing your generational ancestral trauma always well you know i i relate a lot to that because i don't believe that there's an end to healing and 
I always, as you said, it's all about how you react to your triggers. And I think your reactions start to mature over the years, you know, in the beginning, anything can be an emotional trigger for you and you can react in a very uh, unkind manner. And then as you grow older and you learn how to put all of these practices into your mind, you learn how to react a little bit better, you know? Yeah, you're so right, Cal. And I think think our our immediate social structures, like our partners, Mm. um, our children, uh, the people that we are closest to our friends we need to teach them what our triggers are and we need to teach them how we best want them to respond to us when those triggers come up so if for example my husband abandons me when I'm triggered what do you think that's going to do that's going to take me right back to my father who never came back it's like pulling open a a wound yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and so we 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 also Often in relationships, so when I say relationships, I use it widely because we've got to, if we have good friends, we've got to teach our good friends. Correct. If we have children, we've got to teach our children. If we have partners, we've got to teach our partners. We cannot expect them to smell. We've got to teach them how we want to be treated. We've got to teach them how we want to be witnessed mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. We've got to learn from them what their childhood traumas are and how they want to be responded to. Okay. Tell me a little bit about, and I want to go back to your communication pattern, because you said in the beginning you didn't have an open family where communication was received well, right? So walking into the media industry, walking into communications, walking into wanting to get a degree, study psychology, do breath work, uh, become a life coach as an example, how did you have to now look at your future relationships because I mean you come from a place where communication is taboo yeah. you know emotions are not spoken of you couldn't like what did you do you know I, I'm did you bring any of that childhood uh, mannerisms into your future life or did you have to relearn how to rework every relationship they're going yeah. forward so interesting question. I, I think um, Josh and I have been together for nearly 20 years. Congratulations. And I, thank you. Um, and I, I, I guess what I want to say is we say congratulations as if we deserve a medal, but yeah. really, relationships are really a work in progress <laughs> they're all really, the time. They're it's hard. not like it's, it's an been achievement. a successful 20 years. Yeah. It's been like, okay, we're both choosing to be here yeah. right now, 20 years. Yeah. But, um, you know, from the moment I w- met Josh, he started asking me questions that that no one else asked me before, okay. um, and I started witnessing. I, um, you know, I come from a community of color. He's white. I walked into his family, who was this dynamic liberal um, activists, open-minded, debating people, and I, I began to see how his family, for example, have debates at the dinner table and no one's upset. You debate stuff and everyone still loves each other. And that for us is the like, whoa. The that I come from, no, 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 no. You disagree with me, there's emotional blackmail, you are out, yeah. there's no biryani for you. It's like, you know what I'm saying? So, 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 so he, it, it, it was my introduction into his family that started making me question things. And he also started, you know, like for example, when we would argue initially in the beginning of my relationship i would break stuff like so if there was a glass here i would like break the glass not <laughs> throw it at him yeah. but i wanted to hear the sound of glass break yes why did i want to do that because that's what my mom did when she fought with my dad yeah she broke glass yeah. so i thought that's what you do you yeah. break glass yeah. so that you can hear clink 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 and josh started asking me why right. are you doing that 
I, no one else before him asked me that. And that's the power of questions, Kyle. That's amazing. Is that when people begin to ask you the right questions, you begin to reevaluate mm. your answers. Mm. So they no longer become automatic, they become present and conscious. And so, yeah, I would have to say that it was that he's been the catalyst for me changing the trajectory of how I was born into communication. And just seeing how his family, once again, they communicated so well about everything. And there was just always love and um, openness and community. I mean, when I, when, I, when I met Josh, it was the first time I was introduced to like gay couples mm. or couples that adopted children of a different race. Um, you know, Josh's uncle is, a, is, a, is, a, uh, is a, a transgender. It was like, he just comes from this dynamic, colorful. open-minded, colorful, accepting family. And that changed me. Wow. So it was, it was the Lindberghs that changed me. In the beginning, in the beginning. So now you started dating Josh. I, yeah. I always deviate from what, where I want because I get so engrossed in what you're saying. Uh, in the beginning, when you started dating Josh and you started realizing their communication pattern was so different to what you mm. have been brought up with, uh, did you feel insecure or self-conscious about the way that you were communicating? No. Were you I ever at a dinner table and triggered and you realized you could not be triggered because no one else was triggered? I guess I observed a lot okay. and, and that made me ask my own questions. But I think what kicked in for me then was my my maternal uh, desire to be a mom okay. and to be the mom that I wanted to be. I wanted to be the kind of parent that my children could speak to about anything. Everything. So I couldn't speak to my mom about um, about anything. And so I would resort to writing letters to her. And I guess that's why love letters mean so much to me. Mm. So she, I would say something, I tried to talk about my feelings and she shut me down and I would then go and write a letter to her because mm. I felt it was the only way to communicate. And I knew that I didn't want that. And because Josh had come from such an open-minded family, this diversity was so attractive that I knew I wanted that for my own nucleus one day. Wow. Um, and that's what I have, you know. I, The other day I was driving home, I picked my daughter up from school and um, she was saying to me, she said, you know, mom, I was thinking that um, when I grow up, I'm, I'm not too sure if I want to go and study overseas. I was thinking that maybe I want to stay in South Africa because there's a lot of people here that need that need um, um, parents. There's more people here that need parents. Um, and and I've decided that I'm going to adopt. But I guess I'm going to have to speak to my partner at the time when I adopt. And I don't know. It may be a man. It may be a woman. We'll see. But that's how she spoke to me. She doesn't take binaries for granted. And she's 12, Kyle. Wow. She's 12. <laughs> and she's not assuming that she'll be with a man someday. That actually makes me she's so like, emotional. I may be with my partner, maybe. Yeah. She's not even using the word husband. Like, you know how sometimes you grow up and you're expecting this freaking man to come and save you. She's just, she's about partner. And, and we use those word, that word partner as opposed to uh, labels like husband or wife. And that also comes from my critical diversity studies that I'm doing where my mind was further opened. But she's not assuming that her life is going to be a social construct or a certain it, way yeah yeah because it's been socially constructed that way because she's a girl she's going to land up with a boy yeah you know and i it was such a proud moment for me 
It was such a proud moment for me. So that was one incident with my daughter. And then a couple of years ago with my son, who's even younger than her, I was driving to a friend's party and uh, there were lots of cars there. It was at a venue that had multiple venues and they were having a wedding. And when we drove in, he was with me. When, and he was around six or seven at the time. He, he said, Mama, all these cars here for your friend's um, birthday party. And I said, no, there's a wedding that's taking place. And he said, oh, is it a boy getting married to a boy or a girl getting, ma getting married to a girl? Wow. Yeah. And, and so I'm doing something different. And, and, and that, that's what kicked in for me when I came into this family. And it's been a journey ever since. It's been a journey of just, just humanness, like, come on we're here to be human yeah we're not here to box people yeah you know we're not and so I, I i have this beautiful family where we debate stuff where we we speak about labels and social constructs and and it's it's what i want that's amazing and, and sometimes we talk about the things that we want but we don't action it enough yeah. i'm truly actioning and breaking the cycle of my generational trauma that i wasn't too happy with well, that is, I mean, that takes you back to your upbringing because you had to learn how to be mindful, right? Sure. You had to learn how to be self-aware because if you didn't go through all of those changes at the end of the day, having your daughter say that to you, I believe you would have reacted differently. Yeah. You wouldn't have oh, been proud. Completely. Do you know what I mean? Completely. Just because of the community that you come completely. from, unfortunately. And I grew up in a very small, close-minded Indian community. I mean, like just, you know, even Where did you grow up, Sarada? In Brits. Okay. One horse town. And like, even if you, you know, you were Muslim and you had a Hindu friend, there were issues. Yeah. I mean, like, and so, yeah, I just went on, I went on to do things differently. You know, I, I, I went on to, communicate to millions of people on television and radio i yeah. married a white man yeah. you know i i'm i don't prescribe to any religious denomination mm. i'm just i'm one love man that's amazing yeah i'm super proud of you and i i always say you always want to be the change you want to see in the world for sure and just looking at your kids you can already see that that only stems from your teachings yeah, it only I stems from what you've done and they, I mean, they learn from you and they learn about the way that you speak. And it's actually, it's the biggest reason actually why we wanted Zareda on the show was because I believe that the energy that you transfer, people naturally gravitate towards that, you know? Um, you. And everything that you've taught and the way that you speak, I, listening to you on radio to listening to you now, you are a completely different person. Oh, no, I've definitely evolved. For oh, sure. my gosh. You for are sure. a completely different person. How has mindfulness uh, built your confidence over the years? So, so I think mindfulness, um, I, I think, you know, I've always been aware. And I think that awareness came from being an only child and yeah. spending so much time alone. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite quotes from the Bible is, I think it's be still or be silent. I think be, be still, be still and know that I'm God. It's amazing when you are still or alone, how much comes up for you. Mm -hmm. And so I spent so much of my childhood alone. I had friends, but I was very comfortable in my own skin and being alone, going to the park on my own, playing at the river on my own. Mm -hmm. So me and my thoughts. I mean, after I matriculated, I... I started working when I was 13, by the way, I didn't tell you that, you know, after my dad died and I started saving money because I knew I wanted more. I wanted to go overseas and I'd saved up 35,000 Rand and went on a on an international trip for three months to Australia and Malaysia and Singapore. 
and Indonesia all on my own. Went to nightclubs on my own. Went wow. to restaurants on my own. Just me and my thoughts. So I think that whole mindfulness and awareness was kind of there from, from the time that I was really young. I think what's different right now is that is the whole notion of reacting and responding. I think that even with mindfulness, one can still react totally. and not respond. And I think that now, I'm not saying that it's completely, I only respond and I don't react. Of course, I still react, but I have more responses as opposed to reactions. I'm more aware of my environmental triggers, whatever that may be, the mm -hmm. people that I'm hanging out with, the situations that I'm in, the triggers that are coming to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm able to respond more and I'm able to use my breath to help me to respond. And that's also, you know, the, the beauty of the power that I found in breath work is mm. that one can control one's environment if one uses one's breath. Yeah. I mean, like, what's one of the things we, the ultimate line we give to someone that's losing their shit? Yeah, take a breath. Take a breath. Mm -hmm. It's, those words are not there for nothing. Your breath is able to take you from a parasympathetic state, which is your state of fight, flight, and freeze mode, mm -hmm. to your sympathetic state, which is rest and digest. Wow. And so I have access to that. You know, my studies over the last seven years and my awareness has definitely grown exponentially um, after my media career, which, which you are saying you can, you know, you can see. Yeah, it's incredible. That's for sure. Tell us a little bit about um, breathwork. So whoever is new to breathwork, I, I've started taking the journey on. I've seen incredible benefits, but I mean, I feel that you have been in it for a very long time. I've seen on your website that you also uh, offer opportunities for people to learn from it. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Yeah. Okay, great. So tell me a little bit about the benefits and how did you discover breathwork in the beginning? So um, I'm also, you know, I, I did my yoga teacher training course also a few years ago. And the reason I did that was not to be a yoga teacher, but to, to, to just, you know, enhance my own yoga practice. And one of, one, one of the things that's common in yoga is pranayama, which is, you know, your energy flow. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I think breath work was introduced to me then per se. Um, my thesis right now is actually on how breath work is an ancient traditional practice that have been, you know, used by Indians and Mayans for generations. Yeah. But now all of a sudden Gwyneth Paltrow is talking about it <laughs> and all the white people like Wim Hof are talking about it. It's like, yeah. oh my God, breath work, breath work. <laughs> like, no guys. It's been no, here forever. It's been here forever. Yeah. It's what people, even the Khoisan people have used for healing yeah. since the beginning of time. Um, umoyo, you know, that, that yes. means breath. Yes. It's like it, we, can, we can trace the breath and breath work to the first people of the lands from the Maoris to the Mayans to the Africans. I mean, that's how beautiful this practice is. Wow. And, um, and then I, after my, my, my yoga certification, I then was introduced to functional medicine. And you know, the fundamental difference between functional medicine and how we use therapy there, as opposed to other forms of therapy, is that there's always this direction of trying to find out what's right with the patient and mm. client and not what's wrong. Yeah. Because in, so often in therapy, like it's like, oh my gosh, this is the list of things that are wrong with me. So yeah. you come to me and now I'm going to tell you what's right about you. And that's what we're going to focus on. Because mm. what we feed in our focus is what's going to grow. And so I love that. And breathwork was introduced there as well. And so all these little signs just started coming in with breathwork, breathwork. And then I started researching it. I found a school that I could go to. I, I did my initial foundational course and loved it. And then I did the advanced practitioner course, which took another year. And I did that. And now I'm here. Breath is just... 
it's so beautiful. I mean, it's breathwork can give you the same kind of high that any other psychedelic can as well. That's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. I've really seen, I've seen the benefits of myself. You know, I've struggled with a lot of social anxiety and, you know, being in the industry is very difficult. I'm sure you understand yeah. that it's, it's cutthroat. It's, it's pretentious. It's, yeah. you know, how can you step over one person to get to the next person? And, and it's always about your bigger goal. It's very selfish, you know? Yeah. And uh, a lot of my anxiety and a lot of, of what I was struggling with from my past traumas and from my childhood, because I mean, for me specifically, I also don't come from the greatest childhood, you know? Um, I have a single mom who is absolutely incredible and she had to carry us on her backs mm. for a long time and I've witnessed things through my entire life from a child's point of view mm. and that has always left me triggered down the line you know yeah and yeah. it spilled over into my professional career and mm. I couldn't find myself in crowds I would uh, get to a red carpet and my boyfriend would have to sit with me in a car for 30 minutes before I, I could even that's walk. so hard to believe wow it, it's and it's it it was crippling for me. It was wow. absolutely crippling. I was so scared of conversations. I was so scared of speaking really? to people. Oh, yeah. Wow. And when I found breathwork, like it just, oh, it, it took me to another space that weed or cocaine could never, Yeah. you know, it yeah. took me to another space of being able to calm myself in moments mm. where I feel that I'm about to spiral out of control. Yeah you know, yeah. and it's been a really beautiful spiritual healing place for me, yeah. you know, what has been your, and it's your... just about that. I just want to elaborate on what you were saying, Sorry, you know, when you are in that situation, it's, it's not about, you don't have to do, there's so many different tools when it comes to breath work, so many different types of breath work you can get, but it's that simplicity of just breath awareness of, mm. of tuning in and going, okay, where is my breath? I'm having this panic attack right now. Where's my breath right now? Yeah. And if you if you tap into that, you'll find that your breath is in your chest. Okay. And all you have to do is you go down, you breathe slower, you breathe deeper, you take your breath down to your belly, and all of a sudden you'll find yourself breathing differently. You can tell yourself that you're safe, which is what you are. You're sitting in that car and you know that you're safe. You tell yourself you're safe, but you use your breath in tandem with that language. And before you know it, you're okay. Mind and breath play such a vital part. Yeah. How did you in the beginning be able to switch off your mind and get it into a positive state for it to work with your breath? Because that's something I really struggled with in the beginning. Yeah. I would try to calm myself for an example, but my mind was racing, telling me I'm not okay 24 seven, but my breath was trying to at least like, how did you find that synergy between yeah. the two? So, so the thing, the, the trick is to not try and um, stop that, to not try and argue with that, that, that. Not judge it. Not judge it, absolutely. Okay. That's exactly the word, not judge it. To go, I see you, Yeah. but I'm here right now and I'm choosing to be in my breath. And it will come up again and you go, I see you. And that's the thing, that's what scares people from this whole notion of spirituality or meditation, is that they believe that they need to feel a certain thing or be at a certain depth. Mm. No. no, just meet yourself where you're at. If your mind is racing and you're thinking about your shopping list or you're thinking about the crazy argument you had with your partner or the dysfunctional state that you're in, just acknowledge it and then go back to what you are doing, which is either your breathing or if it is a mantra that you're saying, your mantra, or if you're looking at a whatever works for you, mm. whatever's your God, you do that. Mm. And your mind gets distracted again, you go again, I see you, and then you come back. 
again, I see you, you come back. The, the thing is, the, the point and the tool is not to fight. The trick is not to fight. True story. And not to judge from afar. Meditation also teach you, uh, teaches you a lot about that, of how to, uh, almost like you're sitting on the ledge of a mountain mm -hmm. and you can see your thoughts float by you yes. uh, like clouds. Yes. So when I meditate, I always picture myself like on lion's head and I see my thoughts floating by me in cloud and deciding if I'm going to act I on that thought. That. Or not. I love you that. Know? And you know what you're doing by actually doing that is that you are putting yourself in control. Yes. You are in control of your thoughts because you're choosing which thought to take on or not. You've seen it pass by in this cloud and you're going, ah, oh, you there, you there. Mm. You're in control. Mm. The, the agony comes in when we are being controlled by our minds. By your thoughts. Yeah. That's so true. What has been the biggest spiritual highlight of your life? The biggest spiritual highlight. We're asking of my life. deep questions today, um, guys. <laughs> so listen, I have to say, my dad's passing was doesn't sound like a highlight, but it was definitely the catalyst that changed the trajectory of the essence of who I am. Mm. You know, all of that trauma just became something that was so spiritual for me. And and even though I would give anything to have had my father be around longer. Um, he's, I'm able to find purpose in his death and that purpose is without a doubt linked to spirituality. Yeah. Um, you know, the, my spiritual highlights that I have are when I go on journeys, um, when, I, when I go on retreats, when I, so for example, I love, um, have you heard of Vipassana? Yes. So, you know, I do Vipassana. I, if I go away for 10 days and I, I do a 10-day silent retreat. That's that's a spiritual highlight for me. That's the gifts that I give to myself as wow. a human being. I I take myself away on on silent retreats and they they many spiritual highlights. Yeah. That's incredible. I find it very difficult to do that. Um I've never done it before. Heard about it. Uh I wanted to ask you another question based on your parents again and I it's just listening to your story now. I can actually see why you evolved and why you're doing what you're doing at the moment. From the age of, I think, 18, working in the media, having your parents being taken away from you, did you ever feel alone? Oh, my God. Of course, and I still do. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for sure. You know, I, I, you know Josh, unfortunately, sadly lost his mom to COVID a few months ago. But, oh. you know, I'd look at his close-knit family and, and how he, he would call on his mom or dad for... Mm you know, to discuss the highlights or the lowlights of his life. Yeah. Um, and I'd be so envious, you know. Because um, that's something that you couldn't have for years yeah. and from yeah. the age of 13, yeah. actually. Yeah. And then when you were pregnant, you lost your mom. Yeah. And also, you know, even when my dad died, my mom also just mentally checked out. So even though she was physically there, she, was she done. wasn't really there. Yeah. So I kind of feel like I lost my parents at the same time. Um, yeah, definitely. I still feel lonely. I still feel, you know, if I want to be a petulant brat, I feel cheated. I feel, um, yeah, I, 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 I look at people who have parents and I go, you are so privileged. Mm. You're so privileged to be able to talk about stuff. You're yeah. so privileged to work on stuff. Yeah, um, yeah I definitely, I, very often I, I feel lonely. Yeah. I mean, you know, there have been times, for example, when I'm going through my, my own disappointment in my life and I would so love to be able to pick up the phone and call my mom, mm. you know. And you can't do that. I can't, no. I would have loved to have, you know, I've had so many highlights in my life, like so many um, 
career highlights, human highlights that my parents were never able to have and what I would give for them to witness it. Yeah. You know? I think that they are though. Yeah, I, I would like to believe that. I would like to yeah. believe that they are. And I like to believe that they are watching, I think, the light that you're shining. And I'm, I'm sure so many people have told you this. So many people consistently tell you. I, I actually heard something on TV the other day. I was watching a series and I, there was a character that had also lost both of her parents. So when you told me the story, I just thought of her. Yeah. Um, and there were so many people, whenever she speaks about her parents and losing her parents as an example, everyone's always like, I'm so sorry. Mm. And she has gotten to the point, she was like, stop saying sorry. Mm. It's not your fault. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because people yeah. get so sympathetic and they, they, they are natural empaths yeah. and they want to feel what you feel, you yeah. know? Did yeah. you get to a point in your life where you were just done with people saying sorry and, and giving their condolences and, you know, was that ever difficult for you? Because you're like, I lost my mom and I lost my parents and... Yeah. So, you know, like... You ask such interesting questions. Um, I don't think enough people have asked me that because I think I've always given off the impression that I'm really strong and really okay. And so I've never been asked that enough. I've never had many people talk to me about that. Mm. Um, and what's interesting now in my life, like since I guess I started my studies and, you know, started opening up more and learning more about psychology and what really lies deep down within, I've realized certain things that I want for myself. Like I want to not be okay mm. and I want someone to witness me not be okay. Yes. I want to be vulnerable and I want to feel held when mm. I'm vulnerable. Like these are things that I avoided. I avoided not being okay. Mm. I avoided vulnerability. Um, I, I feel like you were forced to avoid that actually. You had no choice. Yeah, I guess I had no choice because no one was actually asking me about me. Yeah. So, yeah. So for you, it was just like yeah. constant brick wall yeah. around you. So, and so that's how you moved. Because it was this illusion of my so-called emotional strength. Um, no one really delved into me mm. and but now now i'm like no way mm. I'm, I'm i i want to have a meltdown and i want to be it's okay for me to have a meltdown yeah you know i want to be fully me i don't i want to not be okay like whereas before it was no i can't not be okay i've yeah. got to have everything together i've got to be strong i've got to be invincible and now i'm like no yeah I'm, you know and so I'm, I'm, such an, I'm such an open parent as well with my kids. I'm very vulnerable with them. And I, when I have bad days and I want to be, so my natural state is to be alone, mm. um, which is interesting because Josh's isn't. Like when Josh is not feeling too well, he wants to be- uh, Surrounded. To, to, yeah, surrounded. And I'm the opposite of that. I'm a fish. I want to be alone. I want to be in nature. Don't I'm talk to me. I want my tea. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Just leave me alone. And so with my kids as well, it's so wonderful because- you know, they've gotten to know me and they've gotten to know me because I've given them permission mm. to get to know me. And that's mm. such an important thing is giving people permission into yourself. And so my kids know that when I'm in my bedroom and I'm sipping my tea and I'm quiet and I'm still, I'm not okay. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was in one of those places and, and my son, bless him, I love him so much, I've decided to keep him. Um, <laughs> 
you know, like in a half an hour after that, he'd made me this bath with incense and candles and a little mm. note that said, I love your mom, feel better. Mm. Because he knows my language. Wow. And he knows my language because I'm teaching him what my language is. Mm. And, and I hope that they will teach me what their language is. Mm. I mean, right now they're just brats, but yeah. in time to come, hopefully they'll teach their language. And, and what and, they like and appreciate. Yeah. And mm. so I'm, I'm this vulnerability, this new found vulnerability that I'm experiencing for myself and giving myself and others permission to know, including my friends, which I never did before, is, oh my God, Kyle, it's so liberating. Mm. It's so liberating to just be normal. I know. Because I wasn't normal. Mm. I was just, I was, I put myself on a pedestal and other people put me on a pedestal. Mm. And when you're on a pedestal, you can't be reached. That's true. And yeah. to jump off, it's a pretty far yeah. jump. Yeah, it's a pretty far jump down. That's good. I've jumped. I'm glad. Uh, I, I want to touch a little bit on sympathy also. Mm. Uh, I feel like that plays a lot. And I feel that just listening to your story, I've deviated completely. As I, listening to your story and the things that you've shared with us today, you can sense, and this is what I want to know, a lot of people sometimes uh, categorize sympathy with pity. Yeah. And so sympathy is always looked in a very negative um, perspective from a lot of people that are receiving it, Yeah, you know? And you said that you are finally at a place where you are normal and you want to have a meltdown and it's okay for you to have a meltdown. You want people to witness that. Hmm. How did you go from that negative perspective of which I'm sure you were there where sympathy was pity for you and you didn't want people to pity you. Don't yeah. feel sorry for me. Yeah. Don't pity me. Yeah. And now you're in a space where sympathy for you actually feels like love and it actually feels like a hug yeah. more than it felt like pity before. Yeah. Sure. Interesting. Um, my head just works. Yeah. <laughs> like, naturally. I, I mean, I, I've got to, you, you asked me this question a few minutes ago. What was your spiritual awakening? And now that I think about it, I think it would have to be becoming a parent because I think becoming a parent took on a whole new life for me um, where, where this was able to come into play, mm. where, where things like sympathy was something that was no longer pity. Mm. but it was something that I could feel comfortable with. Mm. It came into play then, and I started changing then, which has been, I guess, radically changing to be on this journey I am on today. Mm. For I mean, my daughter's 12, so I would say the last you know, 12, 13 years, I think that's where it started, is, is becoming a parent. So much for me changed in becoming a parent because of my own childhood stuff. Mm. And you realized your kids, you didn't want them to be like what you were or grow up in the less communication yeah, patterns that you grew up and, in. And you know, Kyle, I'm, I know that I'm not going to get it right. I mean, no. like, no matter what you do, you're going to land up in therapy, yeah. you know, <laughs> like your mom, who's, you know, who doesn't have a name yeah. for nothing. Like she is an angel, yeah. um, you know, was doing the best that she could do with what she had, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and even though I speak about my parents this way, I don't mean any disrespect because I know that they were just coming from all that they knew. I mean, God alone knows what my mom and, and dad navigated with their parents and their grandparents and, and, and they were just doing the best that they can do. Yeah. When I, when I think about my, my, you know, my upbringing, the one thing that takes me back to warmth when I think about all the stuff that I so-called wish I had or I'm 
envious of that I see other people have is that, you know what, there was always food in my home. Yeah. My mom, there was always this delicious curry. And today when I feel insecure, what do you think is the first thing I feel for? Curry. I go and make a curry. Mm. Josh knows that when I make a curry, <laughs> I need a hug. Yeah. Yeah. You need a good hug. And so, so my mom was doing the best she could do, even though she was struggling, she, she did her best. Yeah. And this is advice for so many people. It's something, and it's the reason why myself and my mom are actually so close is because there were many instances witnessing myself as a child and what we went through, mm. you know, I could have been angry. I could have yeah. been upset, but I got to a stage in my life where I actually realized that my mom was just doing the best that she could with what she had. Yeah. You know, she was a single parent working two jobs, having two boys, which were also really brats. You know, um, I was coming out of the closet at the same time. She didn't know how to deal with that. She comes from a staunch uh, Catholic background, you know, so it was so difficult for her yeah. to manage that. And she didn't have that support, yeah. you know, yeah. and I think as a kid and as you get older, once you accept that your relationship with your parents or your loved ones change yeah. because their generation didn't have the amount of opportunities or opportunities to talk mm. or to have these kind of conversations that myself and you are having back in the day. Yeah. And so they had no options yeah. and they had no other way to work through it. You know, yeah. it's so crazy. It's honestly so crazy. Um, I want to also take back to a point of or give us some sort of advice. And I know that you have a lot of great advice, but the one thing I want to know from you, and this is something I've actually always wanted to know from you is uh, what advice do you have for this generation dealing with all the complexities that we're dealing with in the world at the moment? One thing you know now that you wish 25 year olds already knew that could help this generation. You know, in so many ways, I look at this generation and I go, oh my gosh, you are wise, wise beyond your years. I mm. look at my daughter and I'm like, wow. who are you and how old are you? Like, yeah. she's just this emotionally advanced 12 year old that's so connected to emotions and feelings and um, such a beautiful heart. And then I look at how she can get impacted by you know, her form of social media that she's on. So she's mm. not on the social media that I'm on. She's not on Instagram or that kind of thing, but she's on whatever Roblox or these games that they play, but they still have a messaging system there. And someone will tell her how- There's still ugly, a form of hate there, right? Yeah, yes. how ugly her cartoon character hat is. So it's oh. not even a picture of her. It's, oh. a, it's a character, an animated character that she's made for herself. Mm. And she'll get, you know, she'll get hurt by that. And so I look at this generation and I'm like, be purposeful in how you curate your life. I think, you know, suicide has been on an exponential rise since the advent of social media. And it's because of cyberbullying. Mm -hmm. It's because of this, um, this need for perfection. Mm. I mean, we're able to put filters on our pictures mm. and look perfect um you know often someone will say to me your, your pictures are always beautiful and I'll, I'll say to them do you understand the amount of makeup and lighting and photography that's gone into that yeah this is not how i look every, every day, day. Mm. and so you've got to you've got to have that perspective and i 
one thing I fear about this generation is that they're not considering that perspective enough. Mm. They're looking at something and they're making a decision immediately that this is perfection and I'm not. Yeah. And so curate your life mindfully. Um, be aware of the friends that you have. Be aware of the energy that you're getting from them. Be aware of how you've been witnessed and received. Um, be aware of who you're following. Mm. Oh my gosh, you know, I, I know immediately when to unfollow an account. Mm. The minute I start judging myself or mm. I start judging the person, mm. I unfollow that account because I know that emotionally it's not healthy for me. Yeah. Mentally, it's not healthy for me. Correct. So carry that awareness. Advice that I can give them is, I know I said that balance is elusive early on before we started uh, recording, but balance is elusive, but you have to try in any way you can to be mindful about what is coming into your zone, your ear zone, your eye zone, and your feeling zone. That's incredible. Carry that awareness. That's incredible. Because it's a, it's a difficult time to be alive right now. Mm -hmm. It really is. There's just, there's so much perception of what it looks like of what perfection look like looks like this this perception of perfection is so damaging to this young generation mm. and, and in other ways they're just so darn smart so true and accessibility to all of that yeah. has changed the game yeah i mean yeah. back in the day you would never be able to see what's happening across the country yeah. Yeah. or what's happening in the states at a touch of a button yeah you know everyone's a citizen journalist this day these literally days, you know literally and that instant gratification you also get um, you know, with a like, mm. be aware of that. Be aware of those dopamine levels that you're feeling that are coming from a like and ask yourself, is this real? Mm. Because I'm not saying that it's not real. I don't want to discount that because they are aware, they are, they have been born into a technical generation, but what's real is what you and I are doing right now. Mm. It's, it's, it's this, it's the connection, it's the relationship you have with your mom, mm. it's family, it's friends, it's things that are of value when you are okay and when you're also not okay. That's but true. if you are only okay because you've put up the perfect picture, reevaluate that, yeah. have that awareness. And if you're constantly refreshing to try and see how many yeah. likes you yeah. can generate, yeah. how do yeah. you deal from a parent's perspective? Uh, your daughter gets a cruel comment about a cartoon character. What is your immediate parent response? So that's one of the times I react. I don't respond. Okay. So immediately I'll <laughs> say to her, just be aware, blah, blah, blah. You've got to take the compliments in the same way you take the complaints. You know, I go into reactional behavior because I'm so afraid. You know, once you become a parent, your, your heart walks outside of your body Very in these true. little beans. Yeah. Like, like your mom's heart is in you right now. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. not okay. She's not okay. And so that happens with my kids too. And so I become reactional and... I will say things like that. But what I do know is because I'm on social media, all I can do, Kyle, is be the example. Yeah. All I can do is You can be only the lead from the front. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I try to do because I can't, you know, my, my, both my kids only got iPads last year for Christmas. Um, they've never had iPads before, which is actually quite late for children their age. I mean, yeah. my daughter's 12 and my son's 10. But I tried to keep them away from the screen for as long as possible. But now they're addicts. Mm. You know, they're, like you can see those dopamine lights go on every time their iPad comes into their hand. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm trying to lead by example because I'm on social media. I love my screen. I refresh. I do 
all of that. All I do is carry the awareness and consciousness and hope that they will do that too. Do you have a certain screen time for them set aside? So for, for me, for an example, something that has helped me with that narrative is my phone is switched off from anything that is social from 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. the next day. I give my time, time, like my brain time to switch off. I give my mind time to switch off from social media. And yeah. I don't like to be controlled by likes and engagement and, mm. you know, negative comments. So have you installed a great screen yeah. time uh, routine within your kids iPad life yeah so that's been a journey in itself I mean initially my kids were only allowed uh, two hours of iPad time on the weekend since they got their iPad and that wasn't working because they were really they were like addicts yeah really, and they'd like, find ways right yeah, okay. absolutely so what I've done now is they are if they wake up early enough in the morning every day of the week they get 20 minutes of iPad time um, from Monday to Friday and okay. that's their 20 minutes and on the weekend they get more time but once again it's I know that once they grow up and the doors close they're going to do what they want to do mm. so I have to impart information and knowledge and example mm. that's that's more important than telling them what to do mm. I've, I've, I've got to tell them what happens so for example what is that documentary on Netflix not too long ago? Was it called Social Dilemma or uh, it was about... The Social Network. Social I think it was network. called The, the Social yes. Network. Yes, yes. So I let them watch that mm. twice. And I let them watch how the, the initiators, creators and makers of all these apps don't allow their kids to be on, 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 on social media. Because they know. And why they don't allow them. So I let them watch that. All I do is I plant seeds and I pray to the gods that exist... <laughs> That they will be watered and they will grow someday. That's and they, all I can do. And they will receive it. Does it break <laughs> yeah. your does it make you sad as a parent that screen time is a reward? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's just like sugar as well. Yeah. I mean, like when we, we, we you and I were talking about diets before we started. What do we call a reward? A cheat. I mm. mean, the, think about that word. Mm. Like cheat is a wrong word. Treat is a wrong word. It's like why is sugar the treat? Yeah. Why is sugar the reward? Why is social like media the reward? It's like you're trying to stay away from sugar mm. and then you're like, oh, this is my cheat treat day. Yeah. What are you eating? Sugar. That doesn't correlate. <laughs> so it's like, oh no, if you're good, you can be on your iPad. It's like, that doesn't correlate. Yeah. Listen, we're navigating. Okay. Parents and screens, I tell you, it's, it's a journey. I think for me it's as a, a parent, I would, I would feel sad that uh, social media and, you know, trying to be connected to anyone else. Like for me, if I put myself in your shoes, because I'm also a natural empath, if I put myself in your shoes, I'll feel so sad that that's the reward. That's what you'd have mm. to work for, you know? Yeah. I would want my kids, and I love the way that you have brought them up, I would want my kids to rather work for let's go take a hike or yeah so we know. do do that we we amazing we, we okay. do do that we we definitely we, hikes are a big thing in my family yeah and also sport you know you've got the thing is you've got to you've got to direct you've got to misdirect okay you know the illusion of misdirection so you've got to take them out whether it's um you know to a trampoline or on a hike or um get them engaged in whatever extracurricular activity they want to do because when they're doing that they're having fun mm. and they're not on the screen mm. The thing is, we can't get rid of screens. They exist mm. and they are going to exist more Forever. and more and more because they're going to, you know, they somehow making more and more humans obsolete in terms of jobs. Mm. So we can't discount that and be arrogant about it. It does exist. It's just about 
distracting when you can mm. and so when we do go when my husband for example takes the dogs for walks he makes sure that he takes the kids with that's amazing yeah that's incredible so he's distracting them that way oh beautiful let's go back to you <laughs> uh i have two more questions for you i want to know you know you have obviously you've been through it you've been through it and um I'm sure you've gone through many dark slumps in your life. Mm -hmm. How did you get yourself out of it? And what did you learn from each slump that you went through? Was there a change in behavior? Did you, did you realize that this is how I don't want to feel any longer? So what do I do to not make myself feel this way? So, you know, um, because I'm spiritual, uh, I have a belief system that everything happens for a reason. Mm. And I have a belief system that we always been directed mm. by a power, I whatever that. that is. I love that. And so you can't deny the feeling of a slump because it feels low and it feels heavy and it feels depressing. Feels but like if, it's never ending. Yeah. Mm. But if you can go back to your belief system, and that's why so many people find power in religion and God, because mm. it's their belief system and it's that, that belief system that gets them out of a rut. If you can go back to your belief system, whatever it is, that things are happening in your favor. Yeah. And when you look back, you'll find if you've been in dark places, when you look back in retrospect, you're able to connect the dots. Yeah. But you're not able to connect the dots at that moment when you are in the eye of the storm. Mm -hmm. But if you can remind yourself that this too shall pass mm. and I will be able to look back on this moment and connect the dots. But right now I'm feeling like crap. So what are the tools that I can access? I can go and shower. Mm. Water will make me feel better. Mm. I can wash my hair because a good hair day makes me feel good. Mm. I can maybe put on some color, whatever it is for you. Mm. What you each one of us must get to know ourselves. You must get to know what feels good yeah. and then you got to hack into that. Okay. When you need it, you got to hack. Mm. And that's what I do. On the days that I feel low, I get up, I take a shower, I wash my hair, I put on some color and I hack mm. and I always meditate. So you always try and cheat the system all the time. Um, th there's a reason hacking exists. Yeah. And so hack. Okay. Hack. Do you feel your feelings a lot in those dark slumps? Like, do you, because some oh people, God. those people, yes. those people that are <laughs> in dark slumps, like I've noticed a lot of people that want to hack, but the hack is just so extreme, you know? So I always say to people that always in dark slump, I'm always like, it is valid the way that you are feeling. Hey, Understand that it's valid and feel your feelings out. Like, of course. cry I think it that's out. that's so important, Kyle. It's so Oh, it's so important to validate someone's feelings. Mm. It's so important not to say, go and take a shower mm. and go and meditate and go and hack. Mm. It's so important to go, I know this must, or I don't know what this must feel like right now. Mm. I don't know what this must feel like, mm. but how, how about you try X, Y, and Z and see how it feels. Yeah. That validation, oh my God, that's paramount. Yeah. That's it really right. helps. I always, whenever I'm in a dark slump, I remind myself, yes, I have the hacks. Yes, I have the cheat code to make myself feel great. However, mm -hmm. the way that I'm feeling right now, it's okay to feel yeah. this way. So feel it. Sure. If you want chicken licking and you want to vegetate on the couch and feel your feelings, do it. Oh, do that, what you need and, to do. And that's what I do. You know? that's, so, so my favorite line to myself and to my clients is meet yourself where you're at. Oh. Meet yourself where you're at. But don't stay in the pity party forever. You've got to know, you've got to know when it's time to go. Yeah. 
You've you got to, to know that. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, you know, a week can become a month and a month can become a year yeah. and a year can become two and, yeah. Yeah. you know, then your health is gone. So you've got to know when to get out of it. But, but we're talking about the fact that you're able to do that and I'm able to do that is a very evolved place that we've come to. Yeah. You know, a lot one's, of people got to, one's got to get there. Correct. One's got to get there. Correct. Who were you then and who are you now? Who was I then? You know, you should think of doing a podcast. You're really good at this. <laughs> I just get really engrossed in conversations and I feel like that's actually why I started Who was this. I then? I was definitely someone that was... Because I feel like I came from such adversity, I was definitely someone that was trying to prove that I could be anything and anyone beyond the color of my skin mm. or wow Zareda. or the lsm that i had come from the living standard measure of my family mm. now now i'm 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 walking myself home wow yeah Oh, we say that to a lot of people. We're actually yes, all human beings here trying to walk each other home. Yeah, Ram does. Yeah. Yeah. It's been incredible yeah. to have you on the show. It's so amazing. I always get so engrossed. <laughs> like, I love hearing people's story and how they've evolved and like what they've done to, to get themselves because all the superficial stuff around us and the materialistic thing means nothing, but connection means everything. Absolutely. And being mindful means being mindful can really catapult your life to places that you would have never thought about yeah. before you know for me that's been one of the highlights of COVID really is yeah is that coming up quite profoundly wow. it's what's important that's beautiful like the material is not important you know when my mom-in-law died I had to go and pack up her her place and her cupboard and she only had what she was wearing mm. And, you know, Kyle, having been in television and, and getting lots of free gifts from designers, I have, <clears throat> I have the clothing, you know, that I have. And then I have a cottage that was full of suitcases of clothing. And I came home and I gave away 20 suitcases of clothing. Wow. And I just whistled down to what is it that you need as mm. opposed to what, how much do you want to keep in want? Mm. And that, so much of that has come in because of COVID. COVID has profoundly highlighted for me how the material is fleeting. And what isn't fleeting is the connections and the bonds that we have. Wow. Yeah. We're going to leave it right there for now. Sereda, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for it's having me. It's been an absolute honor to have you and such a privilege. And thank you for being so vulnerable and fragile and being willing to share this piece of you that I don't think people can from the outside look in and know this about you. And that's really what, why I wanted you here because, you know, from the outside in looking in all the things that you do, it's amazing. However, I know for a fact from the first time that I met you, I, I remember saying to Leo, I was like, there is so much more to this woman that no one knows about. And no, and she's not sharing, you know, and she's not getting an opportunity to either share that about us. So thank you so much thank for being so here. Thank you so much. I so appreciate being part of your love letter. It's thank been you. absolutely incredible. You can follow Zareda's journey on all of her social media platforms at Zareda Jardine. I will link all of her social platforms 
in the description down below. I want to send a huge thank you to all of our sponsors, Vodcast TV, Clark Media, the entire team, and Neon Feed. It's been absolutely incredible. Don't forget, you can stream all our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or watch the entire episode on our YouTube channel. Leave a review. Share the moments that inspire you. It's been incredible to have you, Zareda. Thank you. Thanks for listening and watching. Bye. <laughs>